two Google yeah. engineers were in a bar arguing on what matters more, bandwidth or latency. So they set up a controlled test. Everybody sells you on the bandwidth mattering, but when you see the impact on actual perf, latency is the killer for that stuff. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Development Best Practices Podcast, brought to you by ILM Professional Services. I'm Jason Erdahl, your podcast host, and in this episode, I'm happy to welcome back Robert Bodenheimer, Microsoft MVP, Pluralsight author, and MDC speaker, for part two in our series on web performance. If you haven't listened to part one, I'd suggest pausing this one and listening to the previous episode, which lays the groundwork for much of what we'll talk about today. In this episode, Robert and I talk about synthetic versus real user monitoring, how fast your web page needs to be, content expiration and content delivery networks. We'll end by swapping internet topology war stories. And here's Robert again. Next question. What is synthetic monitoring versus real user monitoring? How do I know when to use which? Yeah, so the synthetic is the consistent machines at a certain place. So whichever vendor you pick, they'll have certain, like I've got certain U.S. cities connected to certain ISPs, and that's going to be the same all the time. And I just say, look at my homepage category, product page, keep those measurements, and they do that uh, continually. So I've got a really great history of just how my site works, not really considering uh, the end user in that, right? It's not a true customer sitting there. It's got better connections and things. So that's where real user monitoring come in. Think of it as you uh, add some JavaScript to your page and basically on the browser, it's capturing how long did it take you to get the CSS files, the JavaScript, the images. I mean, it's recording all that perf data and sending it back to that server. So then you can go evaluate what do actual customers experience? You know, my synthetic might say, "I'm, I'm great. I'm at two seconds or whatever I want for a page. But I find out real users, it's it's much worse because of yeah. their connections and such. So using both is is the key if you can. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So um taking a step back, um, how fast does my website need to be? Can I compare myself to or do I just comp- compare myself to other websites like me? I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to get a number that's an A or an A minus or a passing grade even. Um, how how fast does my website need to be? So you have a lot of things wrapped in that. So I would say yes. uh, Core Web Vitals does percentiles of cool. users' experiences. And, and the recommendation is you want to be green. Basically, okay. you want to pass Core Web Vitals on all three of those aspects. And if you do, okay. you're doing pretty well. You know, they'll tell okay. you how, how you compare. Couple of things that you said that were interesting years ago. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it forever. Uh, Jupiter mm-hmm. Research said two seconds a page, right? I don't know if you've ever heard <laughs> that, but that was the, you know, it has to be two seconds a page. And this was before right. people using mobile phones and stuff. So I don't usually shoot for a specific number. I liked what you said instead. The general recommendation is be better than your competitors. Okay. And there are Got tools it. that let you look at that. So I talked about speed curve before. They do real user monitoring, and they break it out by sectors and connection speeds. So you can basically go out there and say, how do I look against whatever I, I'll just say retail for me, Amazon, Walmart, you know, major sites. How do they look on mobile? When do they first start to paint? Uh, Because like I said at the beginning, people have unrealistic expectations. You know, all these major sites 
still don't show anything till eight seconds if the user has a slow mobile connection. You know, there's just not much you can do depending on that. So I think comparing to others is helpful. Uh, Walmart and Amazon actually did an A-B test where they both said, we're going to slow down half of our customers by just 100 milliseconds. So one-tenth of a second. They both, interestingly, lost 1% of their sales. So think about that. 100 milliseconds, 1% of their annual sales. So I would love to do that test on my own and do that on my website because then every discussion I have with everybody about new features would be math, right? It wouldn't be arguing that we need a new font because the brand needs it or whatever, right? I could measure and say, that's great. Here's your font. You're going to lose whatever the number is, you know, half a percent. You really think a font's going to give you half of a percent. All the business people up the chain can understand that conversation, right? Yeah. One of the most successful arguments I used when working at a newspaper website was abandonment rate. The number of people who left me while the page was loading. Um, I'm like, uh, that, 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 and given how many page views and ad views for the salespeople out there um, that came along with each user visit, I could just say, well, here's some math. So yep. you slowed down the website by this amount, and therefore we lost this many page views and this many. And by the way, I don't know that that user is going to come back. Um, this right. was before we had a lot of registered users on newspapers. So we really didn't know who these folks were. Um, so, and it was, uh, it was a bad experience. Yep. The ones that really broke our heart were the ones that we acquired through like Google or Facebook. And we, yep. we worked really hard to get these people in and then they left before the page could load. And it's like, wow, that was a fail. Um, so that was a clean fail. So yeah. But, yeah, that's a great um, way to look at it. And a lot of yeah. the rum vendors let you look at your business metrics overlaid on yeah. some of those things. So you can see, you can make a better argument that when it's lower, people are not converting as much. So that's why we need to, I, I don't want you to do just performance. I can make a really fast site, no images, some basic fonts, but that's not going to work either. Right. We just have to be somewhere in between where it makes sense based no, on data. So makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So say, um, I've always dealt really deeply with my TTLs, my time to lives on all of my objects on my pages. Um, so essentially the idea being that certain things lasted and well, certain things expired. Like if you have a newspaper website, you can't have the story live forever. Cause what if you want to make changes? So this content of content, this idea of content expiration, can you explain how that helps? And is that the same thing as what I was looking at when I was looking at TTLs? Yes. So the, the TTLs for time to lives, uh, it all plays into, uh, I'm going to back it up and talk okay. about caching. So Thank the, you. yeah. So the, the feature I want is I want you to be able to leverage caches closer to your customers. So okay. somebody comes to my site the first time I've got a whole list of techniques that will make that visit faster, but the right. next time they come, I want them to pull, and there's nothing faster than pulling it right out of their own browser cache. Right. I'd love to have them not have to come back and use my bandwidth, my servers. Right. So what I want is that second experience. I want you to still come to my in my case, ASP.NET page, because maybe something changed, right? But if the HTML and all that's the same, I want to pull all the style sheets and things right off your own browser cache or one of the, what they call a middle box or a proxy on the way up the chain, right? I want it to, someone else to pick up that for me. So what your key thing that you were saying is you can use uh, expirations, 
That's kind of the technique we use. And we do exactly what you said. How fresh do you think this should be trading off? If someone comes with it, you know, 30 days old, is that okay? And so generally I do images probably anywhere from 30 to 90 days. I do my JavaScript and CSS for a year. And we'll kind of talk about versioning and stuff and bundling maybe later. But the idea is I want you to use as much of that stuff as a slice in time when I did a site release. If I go run something tomorrow, if something changes, I I put versions on things, right? So let's say you had logo.svg, right? That's your company logo. You want to cache because that doesn't change very often. However, if it changes tomorrow, I need a technique to override all the caches that are local. So you can do things like name it logo1.svg, right? If you do a new name, the browser doesn't see it, and it comes back and asks for it again. So you get the best of both worlds. You're pulling locally when you can, but you're coming back to the server when you need to. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Like I said, a lot of the libraries use like jQuery.3.6.1, those kind of things. Or you can do um, question mark V equals two, right? So the second version of my logo.svg. Or um, people do hashes, or I do tick counts on images. And so it just looks at the file and says, this got changed at this time. Tack that on to the URL. That way, when it gets changed in the future, it just takes it. So it's a great way to help yourself in a lot of ways. Bandwidth, speed, load. It's faster for your users. and It's cheaper for you to serve them. Got it. Got it. And that certainly works if the um, the images are, are are generated out of a CMS content management system or something like that, or or your application. Um, but what do you do? Let's say you've got that logo.svg, right? And yep. you know that you've probably shared it with some partners, right? So they've got it on their websites, and you don't control their websites with your with yours. Um, is or even on your own website, I mean, someone might have put up a rogue page and not gone through the CMS and used FTP and put up a rogue page and called the logo.svg. Is there any way that I can force the browser to break cache and give a new version of that logo.svg? If I put like the time to live on it for 30 days, what if I got to break it after 15 days? So that's a great question. I don't remember what the setting is. Um, For years, the answer would have been no. You're just stuck. And that's why you don't make everything have, you know, a year expiration. You try to tone it back to what's the worst case. Like, what's the worst case if you see we're a food site, if you see the the picture of the chicken was what it was two days ago versus today, right? We have a better photo shot, but, you know, no kittens are going to die, right? So (laughs) good. So keeping, that's the balance though, right? Keep it low if you're concerned about that kind of stuff. But there is actually an HTTP header, a response header that can tell you to have that client wipe things that are cached. I've not used it myself. We'll have to look for it to put it in the show notes. But I ran across it one day and I thought that would be perfect for this if I needed to do that. I don't usually see that. You know, sometimes I have to purge a CDN cache, but the versioning works most of the time. Boy, we, we did it because, and we lucked out once, we had to change an image that was what we, our designers had called furniture. It's never going to change. And of course it <laughs> changed. Um, but it was within a div tag and we were able to run a quick script to basically, and it was painful, but essentially it was a quick script that says change the content of that div tag to a different image. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, and it was fine and it worked out okay, but it just was kludgy as all get out. <laughs> uh, this is, this by the way, is not development best practices, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um, so, but it just, it just goes. Um, and we're, we're in a, my next question is going to be about CDNs, okay. but at least that was an area where I was like, oh good, I can, at least I can go to Akamai and purge, purge the CDN and get it out of there so that anyone knew coming. Um, but exactly. those people had that image on the browser not a lot i can do there so right. that was uh that was tough so but cool excellent um so cdns uh nice segue um i've been using cdns for literally decades now free they, they i remember when they first came out and i was like oh my gosh this is just amazing um but as a refresher um what are cdns how do they help so a CDN's a content delivery network. And right. it's funny, um, two, this is a true story, two Google yeah. engineers were in a bar arguing um, what matters more, bandwidth or latency. So they set up a controlled test. We'll put a link in and you can go read the whole thing. And yeah. everybody sells you on the bandwidth mattering, but when you see the impact on actual perf, latency is the killer for that stuff. And latency yeah. just means how long it takes to send to the server and get a response. And right. that's very distance driven. It's also you know, fiber versus others, but right, distance right. becomes a big issue. So the idea of the CDN is I'm paying a service to host. I use them for images, JavaScript, like you said, I've used them for decades. They were very expensive at first, um, but I reference all those resources using a CDN URL. And then yep. what would happen is, you know, you come to our site, let's say you haven't been there before, and it picks a CDN server in Minneapolis. And for some reason, they've never cached this site. The CDN will come back and ask for all the resources. Then it will keep it honoring my expirations, which is cool. So now the CDN will keep all the same things like my browser cache. It utilizes the same things. You can make them different, but by default, that's what it'll do. So then a second visitor that gets the Minneapolis server is going to get it from Minneapolis instead of wherever my data center is. So it's just a way to push out content. You know, they talk about the edge of networks and CDNs, not using my network to do it but be able to pull it a lot closer. That's really the only way you can deal with the latency. You just avoid it by putting it closer to where customers are. And there's so many vendors today. It's a lot cheaper than it used to be. And they, they put a lot of effort and they also use a lot of the protocols sooner. So for instance, TLS 1.3 came out. You'll see CDNs pick that up very quickly compared to what a business will, because we've got to go through and change all of our web servers and everything. The CDNs compete on those new protocols. So it's a good way to take advantage of, I used HTTP2 there the first time. I used TLS 1.3 there the first time, got 20% faster just by putting on TLS 1.3. Those are things that the edge takes very serious and they're very upfront on what those technologies are, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It also helps navigate that internet topology. The idea that you may choose, say, an Azure region that's very close to you approximately, right? Um, But your user in China, that doesn't help them except you use a CDN. CDN has servers in China. So at least some of your assets can be loaded quicker. That that furniture type thing. Um, And the amount of content that can be loaded through CDNs has really changed. Used to just be images, but um, uh, help me out here. What, what do do you know what types of content we can load in CDNs now? Uh, Practically anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, we store literally all JavaScript, CSS images, 
Web fonts, kind of a debatable camp. I don't know that we'll get into all the detail about that. Yeah, right, I use right. them for that. Um, yeah. People do HTML. Like if oh. I wanted to, they try to pre-cache, you know, almost like the uh, source generators today that can make things and host them on the edge. So yeah. I would say I haven't seen things that you couldn't put there. And That's like amazing. I said, I put most of my stuff there. That's amazing. So that is a that is a nice way. Um, all the all the time spent on the phone, you know, twenty years ago when my website was slow and yep. doing trace routes, trying to see the peering point in Chicago that was causing the delay, and working with the knock, going, "Can you change the route? <laughs> Can see, we go around Chicago, please?" You've lived um, the life I have as well. So oh it's funny. Lord. One day, uh, if you know Scott Hanselman. He yes. was showing something in Azure and he said, he showed a slider and he's like, look, I can go from one web server to 20 and I can, he goes, that was the nineties for me. And I just laugh because it's just <laughs> what you said. I mean, all the things that we had to deal with before availability and all of that stuff. And now I, yeah. And people thought they were logging on for best practices and this is really just therapy. I mean, just walking <laughs> through. Anyone else have this problem out there? Call in to 1-800-INTERNET-TOPOLOGY. And that's just about enough therapy or content um, today. Please be sure to listen in a few weeks to part three of our web performance series with Robert, where we'll have less therapy, I promise. Um, and we will also cover minification, compression, bundling, and the tricky topic of images. The Development Best Practices Podcast is brought to you by ILM Professional Services. Creating performant web applications is not simple, particularly if this is something you don't do regularly. ILM does. We do a lot of work creating highly performant web applications, applications that load fast and safely. We'd love to help you. Please reach out to us at ilmservice.com so we can discuss how. Finally, if you like what you heard in this episode, please tell a friend about us. If you have any feedback on this episode or have a topic you'd like us to cover, please email us at podcast at ilmservice.com. Take care.